Welcome everybody to the Unnormalized Podcast. Welcome back to the show has been on break um, for some time due to COVID and all that kind of stuff. So we're back for season two and what better way to kick off my second season is um, I have a true renaissance woman who is joining me on the show today. She's an author, comedian, activist, and Hollywood icon, Allison Arngrim. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, if you are living under a rock you and don't know who Allison is, Allison is the iconic um, actress who played Nellie Olson on the hit series Little House on the Prairie based on Laura Ingalls Wild books. Um, and uh, it's just a pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's a, it's no matter what I do or how old I get, it will still be the best remembered as Nellie Olson. <laughs> and so, before we jump into all that stuff, all things Little House, um, I yes. just always like to start um, talking to my guest Allison a little bit about. Um, who they are, um, you know, because especially, like you said, somebody like yourself who played such a, a character that remains in, in, in people's minds, um, how they, what a little bit more behind what we don't know um, from just watching you on, you know, right. on TV. So just, you know, tell me a little bit about or tell our guests a little bit about who you are and where you come from and how you kind of got into all this acting stuff. Well, yeah, I, you know, I just say I'm a, I always like to say I'm a, I'm a screwed up ex-child star, but the only screwed up ex-child star you'll meet who is not, uh, been to Betty Ford, uh, <laughs> held up a liquor store, shot my dealer, posed for Playboy, yeah, you know, um, it's, it's an accomplishment. I always like to, to joke and say, cast of Little House, no arrests, no convictions. Um, but yeah, it's, I started really, really young. I, I should be absolutely out of my mind by now. Um, my family were all in show business. My parents met actually running a theater in Canada. My father founded the Totem Theater in Vancouver. I mean, it goes all the way back to that. Uh, my mother was the voice of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Uh, she was Gumby. She was Sweet Polly Purebred, Underdog's Girlfriend. She was Davy, Davy Glyde. is craziness. Literally everyone I knew was in show business. I thought everyone was on TV. <laughs> I was like seven. I thought people just took turns. So um, I started working as a child. Um, I started working... About five, because I realized, I kept saying six, I remember, because I remember I was doing the Hunt's Ketchup commercial, I was around six, but my SAG card does say member since 1965, so, wow. so um, uh, 67, yeah, 67, I was five years old, so I've wow. been in the union since I was five, um, and working, to, I worked quite a bit as a tiny little child, and, um, there was a panel show called Juvenile Jury. I was like the Kitty Carlisle of the third grade. Um, <laughs> and I did all this weird stuff. I did a movie when I was 10. Um, not a very good movie, but Richard Eakin and Dina Merrill were in it. Hmm. It was really exciting. Um, throw out the anchor. It was, just a, it was a rip-off. Do you remember, there was a movie called Houseboat with Sophia Loren. It was a big Disney movie. Yes, and yes, it was yes, like yes. a rip-off of that. Oh, okay, yes. Harry Grant, Harry Grant, <laughs> Sophia Loren, yes. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. This was someone said, we got it, let's try to remake, like, Houseboat, 
but like make it for seven ninety five. <laughs> and so Richard Egan was sort of who was marvelous actor, but he was at the end of his career and kind of a little bit of drinky, drinky things were not going as well. He wasn't a young sex symbol anymore. And mm. Gina Merrill, who apparently was willing to be in anything, uh, she was because she's richer than sin, she's a post heiress, and she later wound up doing like huge television series and things. So she was sort of weirdly like coming up because she was getting into show business and doing things, and she just didn't care. In fact, I think she got the movie shown at a drive-in at one point. I think she paid for the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> it was mad. But these two big stars were, and it was very strange, and then all these people from absolute nowhere, we went to Orlando, Florida, and I was like the kid's star in this thing. I was, had a great time making it, but um, I have I can sell you a DVD of it if you like. <laughs> nobody wants them. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I have them with French subtitles because the French think it's like an art film, and it was released there with French subtitles. Um, so I did, I was doing all this, and I literally wasn't working very much when I was 11, mm -hmm. and my father literally sat me down, because he's my manager, he worked for Debbie Reynolds and Liberace, wow. and everybody, and Susan Anton, he sat me down and said, you haven't been booking lately since the movie, your career may be over, many child stars stop working about now, they don't work, you might not work again until you're 18, or you might never work again at all, so I mm. got the kind of your washed up at 11 speech <laughs> and then I got Little House in the Prairie at 12 wow so people say are you making a comeback and I say no no that was the comeback right right <laughs> you did the comeback at, a, at 11 years old <laughs> I had a comeback at 12 I was over at 11 I had a comeback at 12 and um, so yes I'm on my 57th comeback by now uh, <laughs> so I'm the queen I am the queen of the comeback I made a comeback at 12 it's all about it's all about the reinvention though Constant reinvention. It's so yeah, so I, I grew up like this, and then I was on the show from 12 to 19, which is bananas. It's like right. all of junior high and high school, literally a little girl starting junior high, and by the time the show's done, I'm a grown woman living in a condominium, like moved out of my parents' bought That's a house. Insane. You know, it's like. It's just like, and I'm still on the same show. Um, my character gets married off. I have children. It's like, <laughs> um, well, it so that was, was very. It was nine huh? seasons and two hundred and four episodes, which is yes. like, it's like mind boggling because. And then even weirder. So I was on for seven, and you know the contract back then they had seven year. Nobody has a seven year contract anymore. It's just like stole studio system. Thing. So I had a seven year contract. And it ended, and I opted to not come back. I was like, mm, can I get a raise? No. Mm. So I had left, and several, had like half the cast left, like seven years. And then they called me back in season nine. Like season eight goes by. I go about my life. I do other, I do Fantasy Island and Love Boat and all these things. And then they call me, do I want to come back for this episode in season nine, The Return of Nelly? And I'm like, this never happens. You don't leave a series and then a year later, like, hey, you want to come back and guest star in this episode? And we'll, like, pay you an insane amount of money and it's totally cool and everybody's fine with it. And I'm like, wait, what? Okay. Uh, usually that's it. I never speak to you again. No, they said, could you, yeah, could you come back into this episode? My agent was like, wait, what? what? And I did. And I went, I did the two-part return of Nelly where I met Nancy. And that, that never happens. Mm, um, and right. people on TV shows usually don't stay friends. And... All of us, from Baby Carrie to Baby Grace to Almanzo to Mrs. Garvey to Eliza, we're all Facebooking and, and tweeting and texting each other. And Melissa Gilbert's up in the Catskills with, with the Timothy Busfield growing crops and chickens. And, and I'm like, hey, you're getting a cow. Um, 
we're all still speaking to each other. That's we're so. We're all still speaking to each other. We do events together. It's insane. That is. That is like so. I mean, like, I. I mean, when I guess. I, I always reach out to my guests who are either they've made some impact on me or I feel like I have some connection. And it was during quarantine that, um, you know, I was done with like binge watching every show that I could possibly watch. Right. So I was like, you know, I really want to like jump into like watching Little House. And I have tried to like I, I like I would go on and see like all the seasons I'm like oh my god that's so overwhelming for me right now but <laughs> I figured quarantine would be the and and it was just a um a flood of like memories that came through because I mean I remember watching Little House it was like like the cornerstone of our like mealtime every day like it was this is why people are hooked on it because not only the show holds up, it's well right. written and well directed and all that, but it also usually was a tie in people's lives. It's either people say, I watched it with my grandma, is a big one. They were mm-hmm. young and it reminds me of that. Or a mealtime. In France, when they started running it in France, and in the 70s, they didn't let usually like a show in the 70s, maybe in the 80s, it hits Europe. No, no, it's like two years in, they're like running it in France. They ran it every day at noon. Hmm. You know, they're still running it every day at noon. In wow. France, like, like 50 years. So they're running it every day at noon. And in France, well, French people traditionally, and certainly in the 70s, would go home for lunch. We'd leave the office, go home for lunch, and kids would come home from school for lunch and then return. They'd take a long lunch. They still do that in most small towns. And even in Paris... People will sometimes go home for lunch, or they'll go to the break room for lunch and watch TV. Kids very often will go home for, for lunch from school. It's very common in France. Well, they, back then, there were like two channels. So <laughs> what did they do? They watched Little Eyes of the Prairie. And now, a million years later, yes, people now will go to their break room for lunch, or the kids will eat in the cafeteria. But if they go home... Little House is on. And when they go in the break room, instead of like a soap opera or reality TV, they switch it over to Little House in the Prairie. French people stop everything they're doing at noon and watch Little House in the Prairie. <laughs> that is and like they have so now awesome. for decades. There's people literally from birth till now. But, and so it's part of people's childhood. And then I know people, they didn't watch it till years later. They watched the reruns. They were in college. But they said, oh, we would sit in my dorm. We would play drinking games. We watched Little House in the <laughs> It reminds people of a certain part of their life. Right. Now, wait, you watch it in quarantine. Did you watch the episode Quarantine and the episode Plague? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> and what's funny is, like, because back then we didn't know, like, what the, the episodes were actually called. So it's now funny right, to watch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to watch shows and see what they were actually titled episodes and what they were and how how well they made sense because of the titles. Um, it but yeah. freaks everyone out now because we've been getting... First of all, everyone is binge-watching and the number of people binge-watching Little House is huge because people need comfort food. So Little House has had, not surprisingly, an enormous revival in the last six months. Right. Um... And it was already on, like, 8 million channels in reruns and streaming on Amazon. But when this hit, well, everybody went home and they turned the front. And then when young people started saying, my God, there's an episode called Plague. And there's one called Cordy. They all got it. We had anthrax. We all had anthrax. And then there's the one we all had typhus. Um, how to say, did we do smallpox? I think we did everything. But people said, I'm watching this episode. My God, it's called Quarantine. What is happening? And then they watched the- And then... Here we are 
in the middle of you know Black Lives Matter and this, a new civil rights movement. And what do people see? There's an episode called The Wisdom of Solomon with Todd right. Bridges. Todd Bridges. Right, so right, right, yes. And he plays the child of slaves. It's like just after the Civil War is when Little House takes place. Mm-hmm. And he's hanging around with Paul Ingalls and he says he gets in trouble at school because he starts talking about how horrible it is and he, he says the N-word to Miss Beadle to everyone's shock and amazement. And Pa says what is going on and he says to, to Paul Ingalls, okay, if you had the choice, would you um, die at 50 as a white man or would you want to uh, live to be 100 but be a black man? Hmm. And Paul Ingalls is dumbstruck and realizes that the kid has a point. Um, and he, like, hadn't really thought about it until then. It's like, oh, yikes, yes. And it's a really profound episode. And this was shot in the 70s. Right, yeah. And, and people now, I mean, I said so young, young people on it. I feel so awkward. The young <laughs> people. But very young people who clearly were not alive when Little House was first on were watches were on Twitter saying, Oh my god, I just saw this episode, The Wisdom of Solomon. I had no idea they were dealing with stuff like this on Little House in the Prairie and being this outspoken. This is amazing. And then the plague episode and then the quarantine episode. And people are rediscovering it and seeing that we dealt with all sorts of topics. But we had the drug addiction episode, we had, you know, all the abuse episodes. And so it's really shocking to people. Now they go, I didn't know, I didn't know they had all this. Um so it's really had a revival, and it's it's been marvelous. We had a cast reunion thing online because um, everybody's making things like about Little House in the Prairie, and there's a hilarious show called uh, yeah, Plug, Plug, for my friend Pamela Bob, <laughs> Living on a Prairie. I'm in it, so of course I'm plugging. Um, <laughs> it's a web series about a woman who was so obsessed with Little House in the Prairie that she could, like, barely keep her job or have a boyfriend and she's like over the top i play her therapist i'm her therapist who tries to talk her into having a real life um very funny stuff but what she did is she did a thing where she put it up online and we did a fundraiser for the actors fund who were helping a lot of artists during the, the pandemic and she got like eight nine people from little house in the prairie to come on and do a whole zoom online interview thing after the show so people got, because we were doing events. Mm-hmm. We would get Walnut Grove. We had the 40th anniversary in Walnut Grove. We had the 45th anniversary in Walnut Grove. We went to Wisconsin and Walnut Grove and to Smith and Rocky Ridge, all the places Laura really lived. Right, yeah. Me or Dean Butler was Almanzo or Karen Grassley or the whole case would do things during the summer, go and do autograph events and meet and greets. And then we'd have the big anniversary ones where like, we all go. Mm-hmm. So we were doing that and interacting with the fans live. And so when the pandemic hit, like eight or nine of these events were canceled. So we turned around and we did an online one so they could come talk to us. Right. They And, and that, that's such an amazing thing that, um, you know, and I know this pandemic has, you know, hit um, the the world of the arts tremendously um, because yeah. of the fact that, I mean, I live in New Jersey, so I'm a stone throw away from uh, Manhattan and Broadway and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, and you Dark. know, right. And, and, it, and it's taken an impact on some of, you know, a lot of the actors and yeah. actresses and singers and yeah. screenwriters. Oh, and it's, it's like, yeah, it's like a whole, um, you know, there's a whole 
moving machine that kind of and everybody plays their parts and during this whole quarantine pandemic thing and 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 we don't realize you know we think about like first responder workers and all that kind of stuff and but we don't think about the people that keep the lights on in broadway and and in film and big industries got hit like tourism got slammed one of the other things i do is have the nasty nelly tour of hollywood i was doing a tour a very mm-hmm. funny comedy tour of Hollywood where me and this, my friend Rich Sebastian, a professional tour guide, ride around in a van and people, we do very exclusive, 12 people in the van, we stop for milkshakes, it's fabulous. <laughs> and we, go, we went to Michael Landon's house, we went to Liberace's house, great. Um, obviously, eh, not, that's not happening. So <laughs> tourism got hit. Right. And not just you think, okay, well, the museums, right. the tourist centers, but then everybody who works around it, the people who sell the hot dogs on the corner that the people buy when they leave the tourist event, it's, they're all the food workers. They're all a mess. Right. Well, Broadway, I would do my show every Mother's Day. I'd do my stand-up show at the Lori Beachman Theater on 42nd Street. I was booked to do Couldn't do that. Live theater, can't do it. Stand-up comedy, can't do it. Right. Um, even film has been shut down. It's just now coming back because as performers, our stuff is that you know, people, actors will refer to their body as their instrument. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's... It, kind of like highfalutin, but that's what we do. We're either in there in live theater, we're there at a meet and greet, we're on stage, we're doing it, or even in film, we're touching people, we're there, it's a group actors communing together with a camera. You can't do any of that. Right, right, right. And and, and then and then all the people, everyone from craft services to crew to transportation who work in these fields have now lost their jobs. Right. And 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 you know, to take it either even one step further, usually in times of, you know, really heavy things in in history or in recent times, it's usually that whole arena that pulls us out of that to or to Oh my god, the Great Depression. That's right. why Shirley Temple was a star. Shirley Temple like saved everyone. During the Great Depression. So, you know, you know how some of the best movies, when you look at the old movies, like the 1930s, they're some of the most epic, fabulous movies. Because mm-hmm. people were going out of their minds. Right. Were, you could get to the movies. It was cheap to go to the movies. And that's what people, the movies saved people. And, um, well, Little House on the Prairie started in the 70s during one of the biggest recessions in our right. history. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, entertainment, well... People aren't able to go to vaudeville and go to the theater. Yeah, yeah. So now we have to to move that to things like, and I'm glad that, um, you know, entertainers such as yourself have kind kind of used that whole, this whole new social media presence to kind of give us some little reprieve and escapism that we can kind of tap into rather than just, you know, scrolling away and looking at all the negative stuff that we can kind of fall into that whole trap, but to give us something along that news feed of something that we remember people, faces, characters to, like you said and, before. And connection. Cause right. Like, well, again, reinvention. Hello. So again, I'm sitting in the middle of the living room floor and my husband, luckily his job was declared essential uh, infrastructure. So he said, okay, you're going to work. You're getting paid. So, like, so he says, we're fine. We're fine. I have a job. I said, okay, so I'm not my 
whole trip to New York is canceled, not doing the Beachman, I'm not going to this, I'm not going to the Cherry Blossom Festival in Missouri. Everything I was doing was live theater or stand-up or an autograph show. I did, like, the last autograph show was um, February. I did this big one in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I think it was, like, the last autograph show in America. It was, Mm -hmm. like, everything shut down. And so I said, these are all canceled, and these were all not only paid gigs for my livelihood, but it's also what I do. And, and, and as you know, my husband Bob said, well, we'll be fine. I said, yeah, but I kind of been working since I was 12. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you... Um, so I said, I don't know. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, you know, he literally looked at me and said, you'll think of something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? So within a week, within like six days... I said, you know, I should go back and reread the Little House books. I love it. That'll be like a nice exercise. I'll read them in order. I'll see the history of it, how the character of Laura develops. It'll be great. But then I sit down to do it, and I said, okay, everyone else is bored and miserable. I'll go on Facebook, do Facebook Live, and I'll read the books, but I'll read them, let, let everybody else join in. And, and I had all these bonnets, because <laughs> um, I sell bonnets with, like, my books. I, was, I actually bought all the bonnets because I was going to do... RuPaul's Drag Con down at the convention center, and the bonnets sell very well at that. Gotcha. Yeah, I can can see it. I can see it. (laughs) Do with this creative bonnet. So I wore a different color bonnet every day to match my outfit. I love it. Love it. It it. was like 30,000 views, 40,000 views. Literally, one of them, one of them got 60,000 views. I almost fainted. Thousands of people tuned in and said, This is great. And then they've been writing to me and emailing me and Facebooking me saying, no, no, it's really great because we're really stressed out. And people have said, I am so stressed out. I am so PTSD. But for an hour a day, I am just taken away into this other world where I'm thinking about Laura Ingalls and the chick who is Nellie Olson is reading to me while wearing a bonnet and telling funny stories. <laughs> and I have to and say, okay now. <laughs> I have to say, so like, you know, obviously I've never met you before, so I only know of character Nellie Olsen and of course I know that you're an actress and and it's that's not who you are but I was really like excuse language but I was like pissing in my pants laughing because (laughs) you are absolutely hysterical um and 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 it was like such a like a comfort that was kind of like came over me like I was like I said before, instantly just taken back to like days of where things were not so heavy. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, ah. I, I like it was. It was like basically okay. Little house is over. Now it's time for dinner. And like so, I was transported um, like into that. Which coming from a line of social work, like like right. your husband, I haven't stopped working and. And it can be heavy even more so during these times. So just a break to just get a little bit of humor, a little bit of what that felt like. I, I always have like snacks during right, the goldfish or milk and cookies and people like I've got my snacks people are sitting there having milk and cookies and having mm-hmm. their little snack and watch it like the, oyster, the oyster crackers I was dying oh God, those are delicious <laughs> <laughs> I got them at Trader Joe's they're fabulous um, yeah so it's it's crazy but it's very relaxing for me it is a zen exercise I feel much better when I do it right. and by God people love it and so I started doing that and that really I mean it was great because then everyone was sort of on the train. Then I was like, well, I have a little store online where occasionally I would sell an autographed picture or a book. And then I said, well, you know, I have people said I want a bonnet. 
Now, I said, well, you can go to Walnut Grove. They have a website, the Walnut Grove Museum, and the Missouri Museum, and the Dismantle Museum. They sell bonnets and tin cups and things. But I said, I do have a store online, and yes, I can sell you an autographed bonnet. Oh, how cool. Oh, I sold out of those bonnets oh. in no time at all. I had to call Walnut Grove and go, can I buy some more bonnets <laughs> off you? And between buying the bonnets off the lady in Walnut Grove and saying, okay, I need more bonnets because I'm signing them and sending then they also did go. I also did tell people, go to DeSmet, go to Walnut Grove, go to their websites, go to the Laura Ingalls Wilder Museum websites across right. the country and buy stuff in their gift shop. I had people in Walnut Grove said, you have no idea. We had to close for the pandemic. You're keeping the place in business. Well, We didn't expect to be selling anything right now. We thought, well, this is going to be really bad. We could, we, we're, we're selling things off the shelf here. So it's marvelous. They've been patronizing these businesses, these museums who have gift shops online. And helping them, and then I'd been selling stuff. Then I got a call from New York, said, okay, we're saved. You're going to do your Mother's Day show, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, that you normally do on stage. But there's a platform called Stage It. You're going to do it in your living room, and we're going to pay-per-view live stream the whole thing. How awesome. I'm there. (laughs) So come Mother's Day, in fact, it was great because there were people in New York said, oh, I bought a ticket. I had tickets to your show. I'm so bummed. I said, go online. It's only 10 bucks to see the, the pay-per-view. They went, they said, now I'm coming to your show. And we, I did the show in the living room. Bob ran the camera on the laptop, and away we went. And I did, I've now done, done it like five times. Oh, that's so, that I have to catch it the next time that you do it because so I, I, and, I, and I'm able to do Q&A because, you know, I do a question and answer thing in my act. So I went on Facebook. I said, post your questions here. And I wrote them down, and then I did Q&A in the show. Talk, talk about, like, re- reinvention to, like, the 10th degree. I mean, like, that you, you go from, um, you know, a show that is just so iconic to, you know, bringing it back to, like, a whole nother realm of how people communicate now. Um, on on something like a live and 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 it just is something that I I I really have found like you know some people are like well social media give me like the kiss of the devil you know what I mean but like now oh, it's no it's it's the, the the whole internet is it's like well it's like fire <laughs> right it's like the invention of fire yeah you can cook your food or burn your house down right it's, right there's horrible things on the web the web I mean they're they're selling people for God's sake right right I mean that's the other thing i'm on the board of the of protect the national association to protect children and we do stuff with like internet crimes against children task force and so we have, oh yes the things people are doing to people on the internet is not pretty um but here we have now we're able to use this thing for good right um it's amazing i i was not that huge a nerd uh i thought <laughs> before this started <laughs> i had certainly never heard of stage it i had never done a zoom call i had facebook live like once I had done a couple, like, video calls, Skype. Now I'm doing, like, Facebook Live, Zoom, Be Live. Oh, I'm on Cameo. I'm on Coach the World. I'm on stage. And, <laughs> I'm but, on, but that's I'm where... I'm platform they got. Right, but that's how that... And it's, it's just a great way because in each platform, Allison, you connect with a whole different genre of people so like you have facebook and then they have their own 
demographic of people, and then you have like and, the youngsters and it's on autism. And it's, right. it's like not only the recorded ones, but like the Couch the World is it's like a Skype, like a Zoom call. Oh, You're that's so cool. It's like, hi, what's happening? I you know, like, well, here's my pet turtle and my cat. <laughs> and, um, oh my god, I talked to this girl in Japan, this college student in Japan the other day. It was fantastic. And at one point, she went outside, took her phone. I'm like, wait, you're like in Tokyo. Am I getting a walking tour of Tokyo? Uh, <laughs> this is incredible. So I get to talk to people, and with the Facebook, I, I get to interact right. with people. So I don't feel like I'm alone in the house either. Um, it's really weird, but, and I've turned my friends on to it. A lot of my actor friends, comedian friends, singer friends were like, well, what do I do? What do I, I can't go to the club. I had a thing. I was singing in all these clubs. I'm like, okay, here, check this out. Go to this website. Go to this website. See if you can do this. See if you can do that. And, and well, the uh, Pamela, this woman who was the lead for Catahoula, the band that my husband plays guitar in, and, of course, obviously they're not playing, she was doing also sort of cabaret gigs and mm. singing. And then she was stuck. She's on all these. She's got, like, a show every two weeks now. She's performing as much as she was performing live in the clubs. And she's doing it on all these streaming um, virtual cabaret sites. That is so like that is so awesome. That makes my heart happy because you ask me anything about a sport, I can't tell you a damn thing. But I'm a, I've I'm a, I'm a, always been a um, a patron of the arts. So yeah. when when you know and and usually the arts is not a you know unless you're in Hollywood or something like that. But the average person who is walking working on Broadway off Broadway touring companies they're not making tons of money so to pull no, that no, from them not. right I mean, that's the thing as I said it's all the ancillary people too it's all the yes. crew and the lighting people don't realize what's going on there I was just I've been watching all these online seminars from like the Screen Actors Guild and stuff of how they're trying to with COVID prevention protocols start some filming and saying, okay, we only have a crew of this many people and we shoot it like this and we shoot it outdoors and we do this and we do that and we test everybody. And they're, they're, try- they're like, we're going to get shows back on. We're going to figure out how to do this. And people don't realize people need entertainment. It's a form of human connection and interaction. Absolutely. And I'm so impressed that so many of my friends have been so creative and in the midst of what is a terrible situation. People are dying. People are financially impacted. They're losing their homes. It is bad. But in the middle of this, the same people who were entertaining and making people happy and giving them something to live for on stage and on screen and making their lives ever so slightly less awful are now doing the same thing and they're just figuring out how to tweak the technology, just take that the whole internet and twist it around so that we can somehow reach out to people and make their lives just a little teeny bit less terrible for an hour. Absolutely. I, I totally, and, and thank you. Thank you and, and for um, your friends and, and um, fellow castmates uh, for, for doing that for us because um, it is something that we need. We're inundated with information and um, I can tell you from a social work standpoint, it is very taxing on people who whose lives are already difficult to begin with. And 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 and, and that actually brings me to like your um, your New York best uh, New York Times bestseller. Um, yes. And your book, Confessions of a, of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love Being Hated. Um, yep. 
love it. I haven't read it yet, but it will be oh, my like my reading, and 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 I like it because it's not only talks about um, some of the lighter stuff and and your experiences with um, you know being on Little House and being Nellie Olson, um, but it it goes into some deeper stuff that you know happened in 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 your lifetime um, absolutely well it covers it talks about everything and mm-hmm. i talk about my childhood and i did definitely i was physically and emotionally and sexually abused as a child and this is long before little house so i talk about what that was like and then winding up on little house getting away from all that and said a little house because there's a lot of very nice people we're all still speaking to each other it was such a marvelously supportive and safe environment, but the whole bizarre twist that I was this kid who was, well, shy, who was beat up by bullies at school, had already been abused at home, and if anything, was the person who got beat up by bullies, not the bully. I was mm-hmm. shy. I was terrified of people. And I get wind up getting hired to play, like, the worst person <laughs> yeah, ever, right. who is terrifying, intimidating, openly hostile, who says and does whatever she wants, screams, yells, breaks everything in the room. And I'm like, this is great. I mean, I was able to unleash. Right. Well, you know, the big problem is people are abused and they don't tell anyone. Right. They sit on the secret and all this rage, just rage, is swallowed and built up over the years. And it's not good for you. I had this bizarre situation where at 12 years old, I was told, here, scream at the top of your lungs and break everything in this room. And we're going to pay you to do it, too. Right. <laughs> right. Like, really? Talk just about- let it all, yeah. Just go and become as angry as it is physically possible to be and go berserk. Thank you. Did take two? And I'm right. like, okay. And that's fascinating to me <sighs> because it... It was a, you know, that's normally what we say in my business, um, like a sense of release. And that's, yep. you you know, things happen to you for a reason. And, and on, a on the place to channel that rage. Right, Can you imagine? Right, with people that you felt. And then I had a trust fund. So when I was, you know, turned 18 and, and, and got, had enough money for the therapy. When I, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was able to go to a very good drink when I got older. And, but I had this place to send yeah. all this hostility that was just festering. And then I had all these really nice people who were very kind to me and supportive of me and respectful. And I'm like, they're all nice to me. What the heck's going on? Um, and I was allowed. And then playing this awful girl was so intimidating and so hostile. So then I go out in the world. And people are all, like, freaked out and terrified of me, which was very weird. And people thought I was. Nellie were scared. Right. This was crazy because I was sort of shy and intimidated by other people. Suddenly, I walk in the room and everybody backs up. Mm-hmm. They're all intimidated by me. Right. Can you imagine what that's like? Right, was, right, I, I yeah. I said it was, like, it was like those animals that change their, their appearance in the wild to scare off predators. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, I never thought of that before. Like, now you have grown adults shitting in their pants. Like, when you walk into the room. <laughs> in the book I'm at an autograph show and this is way into it this is just a couple years ago Bob and I at the county fair in an autograph show and this woman walks in she does not say hello she does not say good morning she sees it's me she knows it's me she sees the thing on the sign she doesn't say hello she doesn't say good morning she looks at me she is absolutely purple with rage and she stares at me and she finally says 
I forgive you and walked out. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Deadly serious. And we were just slack of Bob was like, that was great. You just got like absolved. I mean, is that for everything? <laughs> you just, cover everything? just a blanket <laughs> like you're forgiven. <laughs> you're just a forgiven for who can say that they just had someone forgive them in the middle of the LA County Fair. Nobody has that. Um, but that's a kind of bizarre thing right. that happened because this show. People reacted so emotionally to Little House that even on my end, I mean, most of the other people's love and they're crying about that. But my character also had this weird emotional yes. effect on people. I was, I was just thinking that, like, you know, how, you know... Every, that's everyone's first kind of glance, I think. And, and maybe it's because I work in, in psychology and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm always looking at things from different perspectives. But was she just a bitch or was she like misunderstood? Was there some greater thing that was compelling her to be that big of a bitch at the age well, of like. Nowadays, yeah, back then people said that, but nowadays people look at and they go, well, look at the mother. Right. Look at Harriet. Right. Oh, good Lord. This, well, of course this poor child is acting out. And do you know who got it? The French. The French. Go figure. So my, I talk about in the book, my first trip to France, I go to this talk show, and there's all these celebrities on the talk, these French stars. And I, br- I brought out, and they go, bananas, because they say, oh, my God, Nellie also loves Paris. And La Petite Maison, La Petite Maison dans la Paris, c'est Nellie also La Petite Peste, La Petite Maison. Um... They start carrying on and going on about Nellie Olson. At that time, I didn't speak French yet, and I had my old translator thing in my ear. And they're going on about Nellie and how she was jealous of Laura, and she couldn't help it. And mm. this very nice actor starts going on about, yes, I always felt Nellie was a child without a smile. And she was so And they're going on and on about how they felt sorry for Nellie. Right. And clearly, with her parents, and she was jealous of Laura, the nicer family, this poor girl. And... It was like my character was on trial on this talk show, and I was found. It was it was declared a crime of passion, and I was found not guilty in a court in France. Apparently, and so I was. I was. I was. I was found not guilty in France. Um, I was like, "Whoa, this is very bizarre." Um, and I was like forty years old, going, "Okay, <laughs> they're still talking about this." Um, so yes, a lot of French people said, "Oh no, no, we we love Nellie." You know, I always say that the French they like Nellie because they don't think she's mean; they think she's French. But <laughs> they said, "No, we kind of got it." I mean, oh, she's the terrible little brother, and then her mother is so mean, and the father is, doesn't stop her, and then here comes Laura with the perfect paw and mouth. Yeah, of course, of course. Right. Said, yes, no, the poor girl. Right, right, yeah. right. Exactly. So they were tapping into it right away. Go, oh, the deli. Yeah, she's terrible. She can't help with the poor little thing. Yeah. But Allison, how <laughs> how is that like um, growing up as like a kid? Okay, because kids are mean. We all know that kind of. They're mm-hmm. they could be relentless. You know. So were how are you received by like your peers outside of like off the set? So crazy. Well, one of the things I did as a child actor that was like, oh, my God, I actually did something smart um, was I stayed enrolled in the school I was already at. Now, when I would work, they would have the teacher on the set, and they did the classic four hours work, three hours school, one hour restaurant creation. So I, it's like glorified study hall. You bring work. So I had school on the set. But then if I wasn't in that episode or we broke for hiatus, right back to public school I went. 
mm-hmm. which was smart because I knew these people since the third grade. Right. These this group of kids that I knew from the third grade, I were still we all wound up at the same junior high and we all wound up at the same high school. So they didn't care. They'd know me since the third grade. Right, right, so, right. So I got and they also were Hollywood. This was Hollywood. They, they everybody had like, oh, their mom was a newscaster or something. They all had relatives in the business. Gotcha. So no one cared. They'd gotcha. been on studio lots. So I had this pool of people to whom I was just Allison, and they could not be less impressed that I was yeah. on the prairie. <laughs> and like they did think it was funny because they're like. So wait, so you're playing Nellie Olson? Wait, you, you're, you're playing the, like the evil, terrible, okay, what is that about? Um, <laughs> they're just like, really? That's so weird. But, um, and you're playing the prissy girl in the frilly dresses with the curls, and you're you're like constantly in Converse high tops and jeans and t-shirts. Okay, we don't know what happened, but does it pay well? Okay, get great. Um, <laughs> but that's so acting, that's acting. <laughs> right, they were like, you must be good at this. Okay, good. They didn't, they didn't care. They thought, no, that's that's nice. And I'd, I'd show up and they go, where have you been? I was like, oh, I was working again. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Well, here's what you missed. <laughs> Care. Um, which was good because right. they would sometimes, I would meet new people. They would introduce me to their friends. Oh, yes. I'll, and I would see their eyes go wide and they'd back up. Right. And new people did not want to know me. Right. Um, I went to one event, one, one event in costume. And two little girls ran up and kicked me behind, knocked me to get down. <laughs> um, it's oh, you'll love it. It's all about, I, got, I did the Santa Claus Lane Hollywood Christmas Parade at 16, and I did it several times. At 16, someone threw a McDonald's cup of orange soda at my face, direct hit. <gasps> um, oh my it god! Was, so people threw things at me, right? And people got real, and people would, and they would wig out and just get nutty. And it was like, what? <laughs> this is so. But what was weird wasn't like okay during the show, but like. Years later, like the I Forgive You lady. Yes. Years later, when people freak out. Um, And some people who managed to stay sane, but they still, it was weird for them. Like, okay, actors who you'd think would totally know better. I was doing a play. It was very nice to Andy, Andy Steinland's actor. And he said, look, I have to talk to you about this before we even start. Because I think you're supposed to be my ex-boyfriend in the show. It was all very complicated. And he said, I grew up watching you. I'm a little younger than you. So when I was watching it, Nellie was a big girl. And she was this big girl who was terrifying. And I had nightmares about you as a child. (laughs) I was so afraid of her character. I had nightmares that Nellie also could come get me. And now I'm doing a play with you. And we're like hanging out in the dressing rooms or on stage. This is very weird for me. And I'm going to have to adjust to it. (laughs) Well, And of course, we hit it off. We became great friends. It was lovely. We had a perfectly good time. But he said, no, this is like... Then I had to call his sister and leave a message on her answering machine saying brown eggs are still three cents less. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> right? So That's like, great. Like, this is what has happened. Like forty years later, and people are going, "No, you don't understand." There's like, and, um, so people are still reacting to this. Yes, um, very much so. I mean, the. So what did my husband Bob? And people find out he's married to me. And people say, oh, <laughs> You're married God, to Nelly Olsen. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Can I buy you a drink? (laughs) But no, I mean, like, that is, that's a good thing to hear because, like, when I was thinking about your story and I'm like, wow, what a, like, trying to, like, kind of, like, transpose that into, like, now because we're very much in, you know, Mm -hmm. 
in a, in a, an age where we're, we're looking at some of that stuff and that behavior and how that impacts kids and how they move through like stages of development because they've been bullied or, you know, victimized, um, as, oh, as really children. Oh, you're really going to love my book. Yeah, the bullying stuff is, oh yeah, you're going to love my book. I'll say that. <laughs> well, I, I am definitely, I, it, it's actually in my, 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 uh, Amazon cart right now. So good, when, good. It, it will be my. It will be my birthday is tomorrow, so that oh, is. Shut up! I, my I know. I saw that. I saw that. So you're surrounded by Leos, but that my right. is like my little birthday present to myself. So I'm gonna. I live in a beach community, so I'm gonna take the book and I'm gonna um, put it on my my laptop and I'm gonna take it to the beach and I'm gonna do some some reading um, because I'm very fascinated um, by your life and. You're talking to somebody, Allison, who is very much into like policy and legislation. So oh, yeah. I, I do, I did a lot of stuff, um, here in New Jersey, um, with public education legislation. And when I got into behavior and mental health, it actually transposed into doing some stuff. So I've done like Hill Day in Washington, D.C. I, I, I've testified on the state and local level. Um, so when I was reading through your bio and bios and is, I kind of when I'm working with or going to be talking to a guest, I kind of really just skim over it um, because I kind of think of it like how I look at it in social work, where if I'm getting a new client, I get handed a folder um, with black and white information on it. Um, right. and, and, and it's very easy to kind of like build up, uh, a, an image of what you think somebody is, but your bio, I actually like really dug into because of the fact that I was so enamored by all the, um, advocacy work stuff that you've, you're doing, um, you know, with the protect, uh, with protect.org, um, with children's protection rights, it's huge, um, and 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 having the experiences of certain um, situations in your life, and to be able to kind of do something that pays it forward for kids that are growing up in yep. some really tough times now, um, and and it's probably one of the most underserved demographic of people that need the most advocacy. Well, yeah, I, I- and I started with, you know, back in, in 86 when Steve, Steve Trace, who played Percival in the show, mm-hmm. went public with his AIDS diagnosis. And so that's why I started volunteering at AIDS Project Los Angeles. And that really kind of blew because I did the hotline, I did the speakers bureau, I did the food bank, I did like everything they had. I worked in every capacity that was available, really. And then I started getting speaking gigs, but I wound up going like, all over the country because at that point, you know, AIDS education was sort of in its infancy. People still thought they were going to get it off the doorknob. Right. So it was a big deal. And then to have me come in, it's just people were willing to sit still and actually pay attention. So it was, it was good. Um, but I wound up doing everything. There was a thing where they said, oh, we have a legislative gig um, discussing policy, discussing a couple of Senate bills that will affect funding for treatment and for people with HIV and programs. And you need to speak to this group, and the person who's going to do it, who is a special specialty volunteer who had studied all the legislative stuff, can't make it. Can you do it? And so I had to, like, cram for a test yeah. and read all these Senate and Assembly bills and what was happening. And I did. And then, of course, I found that part really fascinating right. and got involved in that. And then so I kind of did everything. And then 
when uh, they approach him about protect and being the board, well, no sooner, so I'm not just going to be on the letterhead, clearly going to be, we, we wound up in California, next thing I knew, I'm in Sacramento, and I'm testifying before the, the Public Safety Committee of the, the Senate and talking about this problem with the law that allows sexual predators to go free just because they're victims related to them. I was like, what? what? Right. Um, mm. And it took, us like, it took us a couple of years to, to change that. And then we went to Albany in New York and we did it again. Um, and so we got the law changed in several states. And this was unheard of. And we started doing this kind of thing. And then... Now we have this whole program of training people to work with the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, sort of apprenticing them out, and that's the actual police teams who specifically um, go on the Internet and track the child porn, the child trafficking. These are the people, like, the, well, the way we can explain it now is, remember Jared of Subway? <laughs> yes. Yeah, remember when that big van pulled up in front of his house with the police and there was the big truck and the police came and they went in his house and they had a warrant and they took out all the computers and things and then they took him out and they said, please come with us and step into this big van. Yeah, that's ICAC, that Internet Crimes Against Children, and they come with the van and that van is technologically tricked out with all this equipment that they can plug in. You can bring any laptop, any phone, any device and plug it in there and they can... See, find immediately what are in your files. Like instant, they used to have to go through hard drives, and it took like months to go through hard drives to see what people had, and they wouldn't find out that they had, you know, video of them killing someone until like months later. Right? No, now it's like zip. Yeah, there you go, man. Um, and they come in, and there's a little interview room where they sit down and say, "Okay, we already know. We've already found this, this, and this. You, one of your friends." ratted you out so we have that's what happened one of your buddies that you were trading child pornography with right squealed. <laughs> yeah so we already know we got access to those files so we found this out we now we already know and we have a warrant for signed by a judge for pretty much everything else so do you want to just go quietly or you want to do it the hard way or the easy way do i just like give it up now um and that's also the people who went to Jared's house, and they took a lot of boxes out of there and he was in the trailer for a long time so <laughs> that's what um and that's Internet Crimes Against Children. And that, they do that to much less famous uh, predators all day long. Right. Um, and the stuff they find not only is horrifying, but we we have a thing at Protect we call the um, White Center for Child Rescue Technology. Because we call it child rescue because what people don't realize is it's not, not only, okay, you have these images, and these are real children being abused, often sometimes live streamed in real time, horrible things. But... Like a third of the time, when they go to the house, the kid is there. Children who are being sexually abused and images, photos, and video of this being traded online, it is often being done by their own parents or the babysitter or their aunt or their uncle or someone in the home. Right. They're right. not just—they're not being snatched off the streets in some mysterious place. This is stuff done in the home, and very often when they arrive at the home to raid them and say this person is producing child sexual abuse images, the kid is sitting there on the couch when they come in. They go, it's the kid from the videos. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine being yeah. the police and seeing that? And you've just seen all this, and then you go, oh, my God, they're here. And they have to carry this kid out right? and I, get them to safety. I, I, I can't even imagine um, having, you know, my son's 18 now, but mm -hmm. to even think about, like, that's kind of like – a hard part of even my job is sometimes I have to detach myself from the individual, the father, the husband, um, the son um, that 
you know, because some of this stuff is very hard. Um, oh, when they when ITAC often when they do go to a house where they know this may be happening, they usually bring a couple of people from Children and Family Services, right, right, because they said we may come in and find computer files, or we may come in and find a four year old kid, right, and exactly, walking out, right, and, yeah, right, and, and and it's bad, and 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 even more so now going, you know, wrapping this back to current situation with the pandemic everybody's home right right everybody's home so that child that child who may have gone had a little reprieve and gone to school for six hours is now and as you know most schools mandated reporting if you're right. in public school teachers yes. are mandated reporters so children who a had you know seven hours a day they weren't getting beaten and tortured because they were at school because they decided the the family who was abusing them thought well let's look normal and let them go to school but they were told don't tell anyone but they knew that if they if they blurted something out to the school nurse or the teacher that's a mandated reporter the cops are going to get called right and well they're not leaving the house now right that kid's in the house now stuck with these people and these people some of them well if they're off their job now they're home 24 7 right. and they're probably in a bad mood so whatever they were doing before just got worse right and or i hate to think about it but like if that wrong parent is now in this situation where um they have more time with their kid more have have more time with their kid in technology and strapped for cash um, yeah. it's mm-hmm. just a, it's just a recipe for, for disaster. Um, well, you know, one of the other things I've done is, is gone around to a lot of the conferences on child abuse in different states. And I remember that I talked to a lot of social workers and I was in like, Iowa and they had a whole day devoted to like their, um, their methamphetamine problem. Mm-hmm. And the and I said, oh, well, that, and they said, well, we have a terrible time because with the family both parents, the whole household, become meth addicts to the point where they're just no longer functional and they'll do anything for money. Not only, yes, there's the neglect of the children. They've stopped feeding them or clothing them. Yes, the children are living in a meth lab where they can be injured or poisoned at any time. But the parents start selling the children for money. Right, right, right. Because they can, things and they get desperate. It's just unbelievable the things people are willing to do. So, yeah. That's that's happening as well. And 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 there's just and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's just somebody that I kind of fell into, like the whole like I've always been an advocate. I grew up. My mom was a hippie that never did drugs, but she was always involved in things and and had us involved in in social justice and things like that. Right. Um, and so advocacy comes naturally to me. But when I was opened up to like. How I mean, my first exposure to it is is somebody that works in legislation that I'm very dear friends with said mm-hmm. I'm going to like I was very intimidated by it so I was like I don't know like you want me to talk I could just talk but like I don't yeah, like right. you know right. tell me right. what to say but she's like no that's not how this works you have to understand and believe what you're what you're fighting for. So she took me to the state house and said, Uh-oh. "Just sit there." And I sat there. Basically, I could I could sit in the state house or in, or in Congress all day long. 
but just to the idea that my eyes were open that all day long day after day that bills and laws that impact us on you know uh-huh. the micro and macro level are being oh, made yeah. like while I'm out doing you know like farting around doing crap you know what I mean like well, and if they say about government you saw how the sausage was made as right. they say and right. it's terrible what people didn't realize like the incest exam- nobody knew that law got put in that there was like well okay it's incest you can go for you get no no time served and deferred entry of judgment no registry as a sex offender but they included they included oh multiple victims uh continuous sexual abuse violent sexual abuse hey, it's okay you're related uh, i was like wait what what do you th- these guys were guys were going out and marrying women with kids or moving in with them becoming because they knew if they molested those kids rather than get a van and go down to the schoolyard they wouldn't go to jail right 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 so, right, right. You know, it's unspeakable okay a defense i was on a radio show and, and one of the other it was another advocate and a defense lawyer and the defense lawyer and he was there to debate us but he wound up they were like wait you're agreeing with us he actually said we're talking about incest versus outsiders he said in my 25 years 25 years as a defense attorney who has worked defending people accused of sexual abuse of children, I have not had a case, not had a case, where it wasn't the father. Hmm. 35 years! Wow. And they were all fathers and stepfathers. Everybody, that's insane. Right, right. So, people don't know that. And so, people did not know that in the state house, convicted child molesters, convicted sex offenders and their attorneys went to the state house and lobbied senators and said I know you just passed a whole set of laws that people who sexually abuse children go to jail. Could you say that if it's the father it's okay and he doesn't have to go? Right. And got it done. Right, 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 right. <laughs> right, right. These were, these were convicted sex offenders. Right. Who went and said I don't want to go to jail so I'd like to get a law passed where I don't go to jail. It, it, and it's 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 unless you're involved in a legislative process and you you see how important it is um, either to participate or mm-hmm. how detrimental it can be when you don't participate, how yep. things like that can be passed through because there's nobody up in the galley yep. that's looking down with a rhyme or reason and saying like, I, I, did I just the first day the first day we went in California to change it and I remember my friends went well this is a no brainer why wouldn't they change that that's disgusting of course they're going to change it I go you don't know these people right. I go, <laughs> right. and of course I, I knew and the people I was with really knew they were professionals at this and they were like you want to brace yourself because this could get weird and sure enough there weren't that many people in the galley cause, and, but there were a bunch of people there for other bills and there were a handful of people who'd come to check us out people who worked in child abuse who went I gotta go see if this is happening and we all got up, made our pitch, and we, we had a we had a psychiatrist, we had me, we had we had a really good lineup of people, and we made our pitch, and they looked at us like well like we had stepped in dog shit, right? And then it was time to vote. They voted, and they all voted no on changing it. I think we had two people, I believe, who said yes, this is horrible, and the rest of the panel all loudly said no. What we found out is half of them had been there when the law had been put in place. <laughs> they'd been there so long. They'd like they'd worked on the original law. So right, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my god, you're so horrible. So they said no. And when they said no, half the room gasped. 
desk and we realized the people behind us, some of them been half listening, like waiting for their bill to come up. But when they heard it, they went, what the hell are these people talking about? Incest exception. Good God almighty. So they all started listening and they went, well, they're all going to vote yes and change it. And when they voted no, everybody went, <laughs> and all of a sudden media was interested. Um, and that's when I went on Larry King. And by the time we were done, we would go in. When we like got this law reintroduced and we're really fast, we'd go in and there'd be another like public safety commission with another panel, and that room would be standing room only. Wow! And there'd be cameras from newsman. You saw them people squirm. They went, "We can't vote in secret." In fact, they one panel they said, "We refuse to take a vote now. We move it. We take a vote later because they wanted to vote in secret. They didn't have the balls to do it in front of people." And that that right there is what we need more people to get involved in. It's one thing you can, you know, everyone has an opinion and that's great, but it's all about the action that you put behind it. And part of that is, and I think it is, I think it should be like built into curriculums, um, in, in across our nation that, Oh, you mean civics? It used to be called right, civics. <laughs> right. Right. This is how, remember the cartoons, the I'm Just a Bill? Bill, school right, school? yes. And they had a cartoon, I'm Just a Bill. People used to watch I'm Just a Bill, the Saturday morning cartoons. People were taught civics in school. This is how a law is passed. Here's your assembly, here's your Senate at the state level, and then you have Congress, and you have the House and the Senate, and in the state you have the assembly and the Senate. And you get a bill passed here, and then it goes to committee, and then it goes to... It's, nobody knows this. I talk to like grown people. They're like, "What?" Oh right, <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, and nobody it, has a clue. And 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 I think it's it almost feels like it's built in that way, Allison, just because to like intentionally confuse people. Because like I said, oh, they went out of their way to hide this law. They, yes, and what was because we raised such a ruckus, and we started. We raised a ruckus in Arkansas and Illinois and California. We raised such a ruckus, and then of course I went on Larry King, and it was insane that people were phoning the Capitol. We crashed their phone system and their commuter service. Um, it was so bananas that a couple other states actually went and voluntarily changed their law because they didn't want us coming over. What? Good. They saw what we did, and it's like, we got a call. Hi, just so you know, we have a bill right now taking out our incest exception. We don't want to see you people. <laughs> and that people but, is how progress is made. That is, that and, is... But people do not know, people do not know the extent of it. You know, there's people now who talk a lot because they've seen things on TV about mm -hmm. child traffic and child pornography. They've heard about drugs. So they started to go, oh, my God, because they didn't know this had been going on the whole time under their nose. And there's lots of sort of, you know, mythology. People say, oh, this is happening. That is happening. I'm like, yeah, if you actually knew what was happening, mm -hmm. your hair would stand on end. Right. You would have a fit. You would go, why does this? You would pass out. People talk, well, I heard this. I heard that. Yeah. If everything, what is actually happening is so much worse than all of the jibber jabber that people think is happening, they would they would faint dead away. Right, and 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 I and as somebody who does the work that I do, um, you know, I yeah, I, I I really commend you know all the Hollywood stuff is awesome. I I'm I'm a, such a pop culture entertainment type of person, but social justice and advocacy work is m what I would like to feel and, and think of as my my life's purpose and life's work. So when I I meet somebody that is uh, passionate about the protection of 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 a of a demographic of people that are usually right. underprotected, underserved. Um, my hat goes off to you because that 
that sends ripple effects to to the people that I work with. Um, you know, especially the, especially children. Um, you know, where you know sometimes as social workers we feel like you know our hands are tied by the laws sometimes, and we need people to go out there and and you know, speak to, speak to it on a local level and, and on a congressional level. Um, it's that, that using your platform, Allison is, is so, um, you know, take it from me. It's, it's, it's go, it's going to send ripple effects to, to, to every child out there, um, who hopefully is, you know, trying to get from underneath something so terrible like this that you would think that the laws would protect our kids. Um, but, you know, thank you for, for doing the work and, uh, and, and holding people accountable, um, which I think a lot of people don't feel like that they can do. Um, but, you know, that's when we hold our elected officials. And, and it, it, it can be done. I mean, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington time. It seemed bananas. But that's the thing a lot of people don't realize. They only think about Washington, D.C., and they mm-hmm. don't realize how much stuff is done at the state level, the county level, city level. Right. Where you may have more polls. Right. You might not get a meeting. Right. Maybe you can get a meeting with your congressional representative or your senator. Maybe you can get a meeting with your rep. But you can probably easily get a meeting with your state rep. Right. Or your you s- city council or... Yeah, city council and council, you can get a meeting with them. Right. You could get a face to face with your assembly person, your state rep. Right. And 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 that's where the bills the, and mo, and so many things because the way the U.S. is set up are state law. They are not federal. Federal. Handful of things are federal law. Everything's state law, mm-hmm. and almost all child abuse law that's state law. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's basically what was told to me when I first started, like really kind of getting into like more of the legislative aspects of things is most change is evoked on a um, on a city and uh, state local level. And and that's why I I always throw 14 fits when people tell me they don't vote or they only vote uh, once every four years for a presidential election. And I'm like. The guy who is your county supervisor Mm -hmm. or your city council or the person in your assembly at state level has 800 million times more control over your daily life than the president. Right, right, right. Your day-to-day, the day-to-day bullshit. (laughs) Okay, remember when um, uh, car registration, because back when the state was terribly, it was Gray Davis, and there was a problem, he said, I'm sorry, I just can't think of anything else. It wasn't. We did need the money, but it was not really the greatest idea, and it was executed horribly. He said, I'm just going to raise car registration fees. Now, had he said, yeah, yeah, I'll raise them a few dollars at a time, yeah. well, that, that probably was fine. He tripled them <laughs> like <Right>. in a day. <laughs> right. Now, the federal government can't do that to you. The state government can do that to you. Oh, yes. That literally meant that millions of people in California, okay, if you had a cheap ass, the car. <laughs> and said, okay, it went from $27 to $60. <laughs> Families who had two cars, right. and one of them was like a big expensive SUV, heaven forbid people who had three cars, a teenager had a car, all three of their car registration payments tripled. Right. And, and it was now, it was like tens of thousands of dollars. People would go from saying, well, we paid a car and it comes to like $1,000, to suddenly having to come up with five, six grand. Right, right. Which could, be, which could be detrimental for a family. So, I mean, it was insane. People's like, 
great. Okay. If, uh, there were people who were like, I'm all for raising it. I thought you were going to raise it like, you know, 20% or something. You raised it 300% in a day. Nobody has this money. And, and that's why um, Arnold Schwarzenegger actually became governor because everybody went, somebody do something. And Schwarzenegger, of all people, who wasn't as bad a governor as one would think, um, but an actor, a crazy actor, right. suddenly became because they were so, it was really, was the, the car thing. It drove people mad. And it was not a well-executed idea. Um, it's like, yes, we need the money, but that's a really terrible idea. But that's what I mean. This was at the state level. A person in charge of the state was able to sign a document and literally triple everyone's car registration. And that would be an impact on every single person's, especially in L.A., everybody's car, day-to-day existence. Nobody in Washington, D.C. is going to triple your car registration. Right. They could, <laughs> so, they could care less. <laughs> they don't, so people don't realize when you're voting, you need to vote in all those elections. You need to vote for who is on your city council, who is on your county seat, who is in your state house, because those are the people who are going to mess up your life. <laughs> yeah, right, yes, absolutely. That's much more serious. Um, people don't realize, and ballot measures, they don't even read the ballot measures. You go wake up January 1st to find out every law in your state has suddenly changed because there was a ballot measure passed. Right. You didn't notice. That's where things happen. It's state, state level. Well, during the pandemic, um, quite rightly, the city of L.A., and it's been city by city, has said, okay, the street parking, the street cleaning, people having to move their cars, you know what, we're just suspending that right now. We can't, we don't have the manpower to be going around ticketing people's cars right now or street cleaning, and there are people who can't leave the house, and there's people who are sick. We're not making everybody jump up and move their car. We're going to suspend that for a while. That's great. Again, that was done at the city level. Yeah, that was a person who was elected to an office in the city made that decision. So that these are the things people do not think about. And like I said, child abuse. You know, CAPTA was the package passed in the 1970s that changed child abuse laws across the country. But what it did, even it was a national bill, CAPTA. It said you need to bring your state laws into reasonable line with more penalties and provide assistance, social workers, et cetera, to children, or you will not get this funding. You will get this funding. You'll get lots of funding if you change these laws. Right. But every single state was allowed to interpret it differently. They didn't say exactly what they had to do. They gave them a framework, and every state did it differently. And in California, they passed a very good set of laws really enhancing the penalty for child sexual abuse and about two minutes later uh, a bunch of people convicted of child sexual abuse and their attorneys showed up in Sacramento and got an exception put in and no one knew that happened because it happened at the state level so it was on TV right exactly it doesn't get the, the <laughs> airtime it doesn't get the publicity no did nobody it's, it's not on the news it's right. not on the news it's right. rarely on the news so it's it's terrible and the average person just they don't know and like I said when I went to Sacramento first people went how hard could this be when it all hit the fan they went wait there's people up there who actually thought that was an okay law and fought fought you what what um, and then they got really mad. And I was like, yeah, hello, I've been trying to tell you this. Um, so the state level, that's where that's where the child abuse laws, that's where all the laws that really are the, the meat and potatoes and have teeth and the, the laws that you're going to be dealing with right. in your day-to-day life. That are impacting, and, yes. Yeah, 
that's where it hits you. And and people do not know that. And and but you also have more pull. Like I said, as a citizen, you can pick up the phone, get an email, and say, "I need to meet with Representative So and So." And if they're at state and city level, you might get that meeting. Right. Yeah. You'll get that. I mean, they're around. They'll they'll talk to you. Yeah. Ex- exactly. I think I've I've done Hill Day a, several years now, and I probably can actually count on one hand. And have fingers left over on the actual representatives that I've sat and had FaceTime with as opposed to, like, sending in, like, an administrative staff person. You know what I right. mean? Right. Now, of course, the convenient thing is if you're on TV, because I did get a lot of <laughs> a couple times, and we had a bill we were trying to get through, and sure enough, um, because it was like, who's here? Not, and suddenly I was, I was in so many congressional offices with actual congressmen. I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then I'd meet, the thing was you'd meet with one, and then he'd say, hey, hang on, you need to meet with so-and-so, and he'd, like, write a note. I had, like, a whole pass, like, wrote a note, <laughs> and started calling the other guys. He said, she's, nice. she's in the bill. She's very nice. You want to talk to her? And suddenly it's like, oh, oh, did he send you? And suddenly everyone in the building will talk to you. Right. That that gives you the, the, the leverage to have that face-to-face time and, and, and have them commit. You know what I mean? To and, and this is why you, you'll see people who do political activism, whether it's for people with AIDS, whether it's for child abuse, what will find a celebrity. Right. Celebrity will find them, or they and they will, you know, kidnap somebody from the TV show and drag them right. through the halls because you know, it's like, well, maybe someone will give us a meeting, right? And then you do what you have to do, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, so you know, the 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 little house stuff intrigues me but just having this dialogue about um passion for advocacy and 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 you know trying to do the right thing for people um who don't have a voice who right and that was the big one we kept parents well children don't vote and they don't make right, contributions right. so we care they're like one of the <laughs> i you know uh, the only I, I, I do a lot of a lot of work um, most of my work now is with individuals who were, um, who are opiate use disorder, have opiate use okay, disorder yeah. diagnosis and have been recently released from incarceration. Um, so it's, it's probably the only, um, other demographic that I would think of that is underserved, discounted, underrepresented. Okay, we're done with them. They did the thing. We got them into jail. They did the thing. Now they're done. Now they're all, you're off you go. <laughs> right, right, right. And, 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 and we, we tend to like forget that they are, there's no one real, like they don't get to vote. They don't in, in certain states, they right. don't have a voice. That's so, right. and people don't, they don't, it is amazing because people say, oh, we really care about children. We care about this. But if I tell you, if the population, if the group you're talking about doesn't actually vote, it is shocking how little um, elected Care. Right. Absolutely. There's a whole pool of them that are very. I mean, we met some amazing people in doing this who really were real human beings and had their act together. But we also met people who were just like, no, nope, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> don't vote. I'm not interested. We're like, right. wow. Right. And you have no soul. And uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I like that. You have no soul. <laughs> you have no soul. Oh, I met some awful. There were people. You know, you you do. You, you we would go through. Though we meet all those people. Go. Okay, they're really cool. They're really cool. Okay, they're kind of annoying they're not and then you'd meet people and go i do not want to know what's on their computer hard drive exactly 
Right. You just go, oh dear. You just back slowly out of the room. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really wanted to thank you, Allison, for for being on thank the you. show and taking the time and talking to me. Um, I, I definitely will have everybody check out your book. Um, I want everybody, I'll post some links in the description to the video um, when I post it for your book. For yeah, tell them to go to protect.org, of course. Protect- and then I set up my Facebook page so you can just click follow so you can watch me sit there and read about. I'm still doing it. I did it today. I'm doing it tomorrow. I got my bonnet on reading about Little House in the Park. Um And I've gone through all the Laura books and now I'm reading Bill Anderson's book about Laura Ingalls. So I'm doing that. Um, and then um, you've got my website, bonnethead.com, and there's the Nelly newsletter people can sign up for some stuff. It's just happening all over the place. Well, awesome, Allison. I definitely will put, I'm going to put links to everything so it makes it very easy for people to get to. And Allison, again, thanks so much for joining us on the Unnormalized Podcast. And everybody, this has been the Unnormalized Podcast with Frankie A. and Allison Arngram. And everybody, get unnormalized. Thank you.